0: Welcome to Care Talk, your weekly home for incisive debate about healthcare, business, and policy. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group.
1: And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of CareCentric. So David, who do we have today?
0: Well, John, here's the story. You're always telling me how great Medicare Advantage is, and I'm always cutting your knees out from under you. And I, th- I said, John needs a pal. John needs somebody who knows what they're talking about, about Medicare Advantage. So we have somebody on named Allison Schwartz. John, who's that?
1: former congresswoman Allison Schwartz who now runs the Better Medicare Alliance a fierce and thoughtful and charming advocate for Medicare Advantage so perhaps she can warm you up to the task David welcome Allison
2: <laughs> I think I'm delighted to be here <laughs> so Allison maybe start
1: with for those who don't quite understand it what is the, what is Medicare Advantage and what does the Better Medicare Alliance stand for and try to accomplish
2: well, first of all, I'll, t- I'll start with Better Medicare Alliance, which is uh, we are a <clears throat> national coalition. What you consider this uh, the array of stakeholders in healthcare. We include health plans and provider health systems, primary care groups. Uh, we have a number of professional associations. So it could be the American Nurses Association uh, to bad doctors, uh, the nurse anesthetists, you know, really all the way across the board. And the, we also have community partners like Meals on Wheels and uh, the Area Agencies on Aging, uh, who are really basically the stakeholders who really provide, pay for and provide um. Medicare and are really interested in and supportive of what is basically simple way to say it, the managed care option in Medicare. Uh, and they offered a variety of health plans to Medicare beneficiaries and say, you can either pick the traditional fee-for-service system, which we believe is quite fragmented and expensive and people get lost, it's confusing, uh, or one that is a kind of a one-stop shop.
1: David, you're a big fan of the confusing lost world of Medicare fee-for-service. What say you?
0: Well, John, here's the thing. So I hear about Medicare Advantage and they have the better Medicare alliance. So it sounds like... Uh, Allison, that you're talking about traditional Medicare is like Medicare disadvantage and they need like the worst Medicare alliance as well. You know, so people like, I thought people like traditional uh, Medicare, you know, they can go where they want. They're not in any, any networks. And I know there had been some complaints before about, gee, as you know, Medicare managed care on the one hand, maybe it saves money. On the other hand, maybe it's costing the taxpayer more.
2: All good points, but I will, I'll pick them apart if I may. Uh, but first of all, There's a role for traditional fee-for-service Medicare. There are people for whom that might be a better choice. We believe in people being able to make an active choice in which way you want to receive your benefits. If, in fact, money is no object, you can afford a Medigap policy, you might want traditional fee-for-service. And the truth is also that people may find their choices change over time when they're in Medicare. Like maybe this year, next year, the year after, this works for me. But next year, it doesn't. We're finding more people who are in Medicare, traditional Medicare, switching to Medicare Advantage as they start to see it's more expensive than they thought. It is confusing. It is fragmented. And they can get a better deal. Uh, As far as who's paid more or less, uh, MedPAC has said that we've reached parity. You're absolutely right. It used to be paid more. In 2006 until 2008, Medicare Advantage was paid more. they made the case 25 years ago is to, to create a whole new way of doing health care. You had to incentivize providers and plans to get involved. So we now have almost 80% of beneficiaries are in high quality plans. So is it working? Yes. There's 99% satisfaction in Medicare Advantage. There's pretty high satisfaction in Medicare as well. But it really is what works for you.
1: I think that the this, there's no question that that we've created a system that 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 actually a lot of seniors are very happy with. I think the the what I've heard is that there's a fair amount of concern still about overpayment, particularly around the risk adjusters. There is that troubling OIG report. There's no question. I think, at least from my perspective, that coordinated care is superior. And I'd love to talk to you about co- the, the values of coordinated care versus discounts. But how do you how do you what what, what are your thoughts on the the challenges that uh, to the ways that Medicare Advantage plans, those that are in the private side, are actually using the risk system to potentially uh, inflate their profits? I mean, certainly some of the critics have really attacked Medicare Advantage, not on the substance of the program but in the way people are are, are potentially gaming the system?
2: This is a complicated system. What is interesting is that in the ACA, for example, they do risk adjustment, but they do it in a different way. They do it by populations and age and geography. There's some of that in MA. But what's interesting in Medicare Advantage is that every beneficiary every year has to get a risk assessment. You get paid a little bit less if you're healthier than the average Medicare beneficiary. You get paid a little bit more you know, the plans get paid a little bit more if you have higher risk. And the idea was is to actually make sure that there are no incentives for skimming. And it's turned out that, that Medicare Advantage, therefore, takes a very serious, it takes this very seriously. They spend a lot of time, energy and money uh, to actually make sure that they get an accurate risk assessment for every beneficiary every year and they do a better job than fee-for-service. We do believe that and understand that what risk assessment does is is give the opportunity something in MA that doesn't exist in fee-for-service, which is the opportunity to create risk stratification. You can identify every beneficiary in Medicare Advantage by risk. If you know that a diabetic, that person has diabetes, but in fact, they've never come in to see your clinician they go after those people. I'm not saying that happens every time, but there's a lot of outreach. There's a lot of care management that says, make an appointment. Why haven't you made an appointment? You see ads say, we'll help you schedule an appointment. Please come and see us. We want you to have a primary care provider. You don't have transportation? We'll provide transportation to your medical appointment. Again, it's not universal, but it's increasingly interested in getting these people who are at risk um, care.
1: What's really changed, David, is you know I, I get into the, Medicare Advantage area, we, to that point, it was called Medicare Plus Choices or managed care. And, and this, the feds had actually cleaned up a lot of those marketing violations around just enrolling healthy people that was that were really marked the early years of of managed care. And, and and But what really changed and is embedded in the risk adjusters is that the federal government will actually pay you to care more for those who are sick. And so they changed the incentive set. So actually, the health plans are more incented now to actually cover everyone. In fact, to cover more unhealthy people, because there is so much opportunity to turn around that care. I mean, not, not managed care can't help you with your emotional issues, David. But for chronically Ill, Ill, elderly people, they can actually make a huge difference. I mean, coordinated care of any sort, really. But, but Medicare Advantage, you're actually paid to coordinate care.
2: Can I also say that what's interesting, it shows up in who's in Medicare Advantage now. It's really has, it's been a different trend in the last 10 years. It's increasingly low and in modest income folks, it's increasingly people with multiple chronic conditions, uh, more of the frail elderly and people again with com- complex chronic conditions because they're themselves seeing the benefit of this. And uh, it, so it's, it's working for the people it should be working for, which is really quite terrific.
1: And do you see direct contracting, or maybe you could explain direct contracting or CMS as, as much as CMS has an agenda right now, they appear to want to create even more value-based alternatives where you'd you have a direct coordinated care contract with the federal government and your local doc called direct contracting. Do you see that as, ad, as adding, moving the system in the right direction or the wrong one? And, and does direct contracting compete then with Medicare Advantage?
2: Well, those are good questions that I'm not sure I have all the answers to because we haven't yet seen direct contracting happen, but it is on its way. And actually, this has been a a path that, um, again, I was even a part of to some extent, not direct contracting itself, but the the path to how do you keep moving fee-for-service healthcare towards a more value-based system? And the way you do that, um, well, there are a number of different ways that they've been doing it. They've given primary care doctors a bump up in order to do care coordination previous administration started this direct contracting. Some of it is still questionable because it's people will be assigned to this contractor rather than actually get to choose it. I think there's some controversy about whether that's, um, that should be your choice or, or the choice of the system, kind of, uh, I think there's been pushback on that from some of the beneficiary groups. Um, I do think it is, it is another way to potentially bring providers to the notion of accepting risk, of accepting uh, the, a population of patients to take care of over time. The questions I have about it is, every one of these fee-for-service add-ons that we do, like the way we can tweak it a little bit, um, it has new rules and new requirements and new expectations, and it they sometimes are not as long lasting or as much create enough certainty for providers or enough financial benefits for providers to to add all the other things that providers don't typically do. And some of that is the actuarial analysis of this population and figuring out what kind of benefits you can really provide and which ones can't can't you, and uh, to do some of the dollars and cents of it. So I, I'll be interested to see how it works, and I'm going to be following it pretty closely. Um, so it is another, possibly it's another tool in the toolbox to get to move providers to a risk-based system where they take some responsibility.
0: So talking about uh, administrations and CMS, there's a new person being uh, uh, nominated to run CMS, Jaquita brooks lasure We are told and she's certainly a known quantity from the uh uh from the Obama administration what what's the impact that she'll have broadly and on medicare advantage what's the thinking
2: well uh interestingly we we don't have clear Really clear signals from the Biden administration yet about Medicare Advantage. What he has said, what Biden himself, President President, president Biden, sorry, I know him personally, so it's <laughs> not to just call him Joe like everybody else, but be respectful. Um, the the president and I actually know the uh, the secretary nominee as well. Um, that they they have a lot on their plate right now, right? I mean, and they have some very clear goals. Obviously, COVID is one. Uh, expanding uh, Medicaid and. Yeah, Medicaid expansion to states that don't have it, uh, dealing with the ACA and making sure that works right and getting people who are newly uninsured or currently uninsured to get them into care and uh, get them into coverage and uh, make it more affordable. Uh, they have but the president-elect, the president Biden has said is that he is going to maintain the guarantee of Medicare. So that's a great place to start. And if it's Medicare the way it is now with the option of Medicare Advantage, that's great. I do think that they are, They. I do also know that the administration is very interested, we just talked about, in moving towards a more value-based system, in which case you got to love Medicare Advantage because it's doing it. It's leading the way on this. Uh, and if you want to tackle disparities, if you want to you know, tackle some of these issues about social determinants, which they do, and I know that the, the new CMS administrator um, nominee is very interested in, the dual eligible population, the Medicaid population in social determinants, in disparities. Again, Medicare Advantage is a huge opportunity to do that right. We've not yet heard them say those words. So there's a little hesitation about, <laughs> you know, how gung-ho they'll be on Medicare Advantage. Um, but uh, we do expect that it's going to fit very comfortably in their priorities going forward and, and, you know, should be a part of what they hope to see in healthcare, which is Better coverage, better better care, and less cost to the beneficiary. So, well, I guess
1: what I mean with, with the Medicare Trust Fund looking like it's going to go bankrupt in 2024, which no one's really paying attention to, and we're spending trillions of dollars of money we didn't expect to. How do you think that's going to affect the federal government's budget in general? I mean, honestly, um, as an ex-congresswoman, I don't know whether you remember BBA ninety seven, but I I really don't think that folks are looking at the at at the what the the impact of the the, the bills coming due because we can't obviously let the Medicare trust fund that everyone loves go bankrupt. The only way we're gonna change that is to fundamentally change the cost structure to go down at a time when we've got ten thousand people turning Medicare eligible every day. Uh, what do you, what do you what's the solution
2: there? Well, the solution are are a couple of things. First of all, uh, we were very concerned about cost containment, even though it got very little appreciation in the ACA, that we needed to bend the cost curve is the way we talked about it from the budget committee. I was high ranking on the budget committee for most of my time in Congress. Uh, And there is no question that the economists all say now and the administration says now it is important to spend some money. We've got to, you know, we've got to tackle COVID. We've got to get those vaccines out the door. We've got to get in people's arms and we have got to replenish the economy. Um, The economy looks like it's coming back faster. Uh, Even the uh, Medicare uh, trust fund, which you're right to worry about. And if I'm still in Congress and even now I do worry about uh, making sure it maintain its solvency, um, uh, it's getting back some resources because people are going back to work, which is great. Um, but that still isn't where it needs to be. So there are a couple things you can do about it. You one, you want to look at where there are cost savings to be had in the system. and some of that is certainly in fee for service. We've talked about it's inefficient, it's expensive. Where can you um, move more people to um, a more efficient and more cost effective um, mechanism? We think Medicare Advantage is a part of that. Um, uh, and we also you also have to look at some revenue it is very difficult to imagine how you double the number of people in Medicare and have fewer workers because that's the demographics in our country, how we actually um, do it without more revenue. So where can you get that revenue and how do you, how do you do that? Uh, there's cost savings to be had and. We know it in the pharmaceutical sphere. We know that there are places that there, that we could do better in terms of, uh, again, some of the fee-for-service tax the structure, um, of the spending structure. So it'll be a conversation. It'll be an important conversation, and it's one that we should start sooner than later. But it's certainly, we will at BMA, um, and you may know I'm actually leaving Better Medicare Alliance in six months. Um, it'll be somebody else's task at BMA, but I hope to be engaged in that conversation about how do we do this in a way that does not diminish the drive to quality, and then drive to improved care um, and outcomes, and uh, and get people better better care at better cost with more benefits. Yeah, I believe it can be done um, without actually you know, blowing up the budget. Uh, you know, again, but it's going to take some real hard thinking and some willingness to you know to do some tough things. Uh, but I believe we're up for it, and I know that seniors are going to be twenty percent of the population, and we're not going to. Walk away from Medicare, and we're going to fight for Medicare to be uh, there for ourselves and for the future generations.
1: So, David, I think she slayed you on the fee-for-service thing. Listen, it's a tough
0: one, John. I have to say, though, John, you're such a downer with your your question about budget and spending. I like the magical thinking. We should go back to that. I'm going to snap my fingers and the pandemic is over, and the trust fund is trustworthy forever
1: at some point, the tectonic plates of costs and, and are going to start to move. And I just thought, well, I think we need to be prepared for it. And I think thinking about new ways to engineer value-based care, leverage Medicare, leverage what we know makes a great deal of sense. And so thank you, Allison, for joining us today.
0: Well, that's it for another edition of Care Talk. And John, as long as those tectonic plates shift on geologic time, we should be just fine.
1: I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of CareCentrics. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard or you disagree with it or agree with it, please subscribe.